Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, uh, 76 through 79, and, and we'll unpack a little bit uh, of context of what happened before uh, verse 76 in just a moment. Uh, but but the last week, the week of Thanksgiving, one of the one of the highlights for me uh, was was being able to spend a little bit of time with with my 91 year old aunt Merlene. Aunt Merlene is from East Texas, y'all. <laughs> she she is an amazing lady. I, I I know I know for a fact that Aunt Merlene she prays for me. Uh, she prays for my family for uh, Restoration Church Brian every day. And when she's gone, uh, some, some of y'all are going to have to step up your prayer game. That's all I'm saying, okay? Uh, but, but my aunt has seen everything. She's seen everything from the Great Depression to World War II to the invention of the Internet. Uh, and, and to say that she's anxious about the state of the world right now would be the understatement of the century. Uh, in, in, in all of her 90 years. Uh, and, and so uh, every time we talk, there's, there's a couple of things that there's a couple of things that come up. One, uh, we, we talk about the sad state uh, of our world. Uh, and then uh, two, she, she talks about the, the gratitude, uh, her gratitude for me, uh, opening up the Bible and teaching the Bible in these uh, in the craziness, um, church. Uh, he, here's here's the thing: so many people, even even Christians right now, are living in such despair and hopelessness. Are, are y'all with me this morning? Be with me. Say Amen. Like, there's so many like Christians like breathing that that air, and so many are, are convinced that every moment that like the world is just sort of teetering on on chaos and in collapse. Uh, I, I've I've never I've never shared this story publicly, but but at our at our wedding uh, 17 years ago, uh, one of my good good friends, his, his dad, he he approached Steph and me at, at, at our wedding reception, okay, and as we're eating uh, with with a mouthful of, of food, he strolls up to the table like wedding party around us, and he's like, "Listen, now that now that you guys are married." He said, you know, with, with the Muslims populating the planet with their children, uh, I think it's your, it's your duty to go ahead and begin bearing Christian children immediately. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, super, can, can I finish my dinner salad first? <laughs> right? Like, just said I do, right? So, listen, I, 
I'm not making light of, of the plight of, of our world. I'm not making light of, of the brokenness of our world. I, I just think that uh, Christmas uh, time and, and the Advent season is a, is a great time to be reminded, church, of where our hope lies. Amen? I don't know, I don't know where you are this morning. I, I, I don't. Uh, but but I, I would venture to believe that for some of you, you're, you're not even being honest with yourselves. You, you're, like, you are here and right now you are consumed with fear and you are consumed with anxiety over, over all the things. But if you, listen, if you claim the name of Jesus, Christian, your hope should not waver. Amen? Your hope should not waver. And that's not minimizing, listen, that's not minimizing the issues, nor is it simply a Christian cliche statement. Like that is biblical truth. It is biblical truth. And so the question is, in a, in a world that is driven right now to just despair, will you hold to and will you hold up a hope in Jesus. So if, if you got your Bibles, we're, we're going to dive in. We're going we're to talk about what it looks like to be a, a, a people of hope this morning as we, as we consider the, the, uh, the prophet's candle, the, the, the prophet's candle symbolic of hope. People of hope. Here, here's our first point this morning. A people of hope prepare the way. A people of hope prepare the way. The way. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, prepare the way. Look at your other neighbor, tell him, prepare the way. See, Luke says this in verse 76, quoting Zechariah, he says, You child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Let me give you a little bit of, of, of background. At the very beginning of, of Luke, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, the, the text uh, tells us that, that Luke tells us that, that the author of, of, of the book, Luke, tells us that they were, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were barren. They, they were unable to have children. And then verse 7 says uh, that, that they were uh, advanced in years, which is like a, a biblically kind way of saying that, like they're old. <laughs> like, um, but then the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and he informs him just this miraculous event. Zechariah is serving as, as priest, right, in the temple. And, 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 and the archangel Gabriel appears and he says, hey, y'all are going to, you're going to have a son. The only thing is Zechariah uh, chose to, to not believe. So he, he walks in some unbelief. And so as a sign, the angel Gabriel uh, closes his mouth. And he's, so he's not going to be able to speak until John is born. And so uh, as, as we get into Zechariah's prayer of praise, which really starts back in verse 67, keep in mind that, that he had literally been unable to speak uh, for, for around nine months, probably a little bit more than nine months. So clearly, like this brother had some time to ponder his situation, right? Um, like specifically uh, where he doubted the archangel Gabriel, who had just 
just come from the presence of the Lord? <laughs> Zechariah's like, I don't know. I don't know about this. Uh, and, and so with, with the arrival of his son, whom the world would come to know as, as John the Baptist, Zechariah's lips were, were loosed and in an overflow of joy, he, he sings this song of praise. And, and this song is referred to as the Benedictus, which is, in the Latin is blessed, which is the first, uh, first uh, word of verse 68. And so... While the first several verses, 67 through 75, are devoted uh, to, uh, primarily devoted to the coming of the Messiah and the salvation that he would bring, there's this shift that occurs in verse 76. And in verse 76, his emphasis moves towards his son, John the Baptist. And in verse 76, if you look at it, listen, though, though John was only a few months older than his cousin Jesus, John would essentially become the, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And before we, we gloss over this, you got to understand, keep in mind, it had been hundreds of years, hundreds of years since Malachi, uh, in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, since his words with it, where he says in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Verse 6 of Malachi 4, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so there was this prophecy of one that would come and prepare the way and and, but it had been hundreds of years since Israel had heard from a prophet. Hundreds of years. Like keep, keep that perspective. Keep that context in mind. You say, well, like, there's no doubt that people were saying, like, why, like what, what's, what's happening? Like, why, why the long silence? Like, has, has God forgotten because the plight of Israel, it had continued through this period between the Old and the New Testament. Like things hadn't necessarily gotten better. And instead of being in submission to the Babylonians or the Persians or the Medes, now they were just subjugated. Later they were subjugated to the Greeks and now Israel was, was under the Romans. And so, in fact, earlier in Zechariah, if you go back to verse 71, if you're there in the text, you see this reference to the people and their desire, this, this plea for national Israel, for, for their, their political liberation and their liberation from, from Israel's enemies. The people, they, they, they long for this very real physical freedom. And Zechariah has... Church family, his praise, it overflows into prophecy as he illuminates what, what would become the primary role of his son, of John the Baptist. In verse 76 tells us it was to go before the Lord and to prepare his way. To prepare his ways. When I, when I think about a forerunner going before a, a, a king, uh, naturally, very naturally, my mind goes to coming to America uh, with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> where, where like it's so over the top, right? When, 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 when King Jaffe, uh, Jofer like arrives in Queens before he even gets out of the limo, right? They're like, they're like, 
laying down rose petals for him uh, before he like rolls into the barbershop with like all of Eddie Murphy's like barbershop characters with Arsenio Hall. And, and, and so, so yeah, that's the scene. And they, and they, but they, and they're announcing, you know, the king as they go and just making sure that everyone knows that it's a really big deal that the king has, has showed up on the scene in church, John, John would prepare the way for King Jesus, uh, but, it, but it wasn't like a scene from uh, coming to America, okay? In fact, verse 77, it, it provides the context for the preparation. Don't, don't miss this significance. Look at verse 77, in preparing the way for Jesus. Check this out. The, the, the promise wasn't just for political or, or, or national or, or physical salvation, even though ultimately Jesus will absolutely usher this in. No, the knowledge of salvation that John was bringing was it was connected to a greater need. Yes, he had, he had come to be a, a herald of hope who would prepare the way for Jesus. But, but listen, here's the thing about hope. Hope doesn't just tell people what they want to hear. Hope tells people what they need to hear. Amen? For John, that meant the, the primary thrust of his ministry would be calling people to repentance the primary thrust of his ministry would be to say, hey, like, turn from your sin so that you can be ready for the Savior. Turn from your sin and then turn to the Savior who is coming. Philip Ryken says this. He says, salvation is forgiveness of sins. By and large, the people of John's day were looking for the wrong kind of salvation. They were, they were thinking, Riken says, primarily in political terms. They, they wanted a better economy. They, they wanted more personal freedom, which that's, that's good. But listen, Riken says this. He says, there can be no social transformation without spiritual regeneration. Salvation begins, Riken says, when, when the Holy Spirit changes a sinner's heart. So Israel, church, Israel was always losing sight of their primary need. They were always losing sight of their primary need. And, and, and ultimately today, it's, it's, no, it's no different, right? Because people today, like we, we long, we long for a broken world to be fixed, Amen. Like, y'all ready for that? Like, I am. We long for the brokenness to be fixed, for things to be made right. What, 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 what people don't realize, or often what, what they don't want to admit, is that they are a part of the brokenness. And the darkness, and, and the brokenness, they, they, don't just, they don't just lie like out, out there, outside of ourselves. It, it lies... The brokenness lies within as well. And so our, our, our personal sin isn't some like minor secondary problem in the world. Our sin is precisely what's wrong with the world. And our, our great need for forgiveness could and only would be accomplished through the atoning blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross. John knew that. And so here's, 
here's the application, right? Like, what, what, is, what does this mean for us? Like, what church, what do, we, what do we do with this? Church, we have been called to be a people of hope who prepare the way. But we've got to get a hold of this truth. Ready? Revival will not come uh, just solely based on the fervency of our prayer or the frequency of our, of our ministry activities. Y'all hear that? Like revival's not just going to come in, in the church and in the world based on uh, the fervency of our prayers and the frequency of our ministry activities. Revival comes when God's people get serious about sin. And that's what John the Baptist proclaimed. That's how he prepared the way when we, when we pass on cheap grace and allow the gospel to transform our, our minds and our hearts to become, as verse 75 says, the people of, of holiness and righteousness that God has set us apart to be. Not, not legalists, right? Not, not self-righteous but those who cling to the righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ. Second thing this morning is this. People of hope, they, they point to mercy. People of hope point to mercy. I want you to look at your neighbor, tell them point to mercy. Look at your other neighbor, tell them point to mercy. So verse 78 says this. So 77 says, To give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins... Verse 78 says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Church, there are those who, who, who would like to create this distinction between the, like the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. Like, y'all, have y'all heard this? Like the Old Testament God, he's, he's, he's just kind of, he's just angry, right? He's, he's just all, he's all wrath and anger. And the New, New Testament God, uh, uh, people will say, is like love and he's grace and he's full of warm fuzzies. And, and, and like, I get like, they've never read Acts 5, right? Um, so we, like, we, we, we covered that a couple years ago, but we covered it. <laughs> and here's the reality. Here's the reality. Earlier in Zechariah's song, he, he had already alluded to the mercy of God in the Old Testament. Right? If you look at, back at verse 72 and 73, he, he pointed to the promises to our fathers and to the covenant. In, in verse 73, he, he references the Abrahamic covenant and God's, God's promises to his people of land, seed, and blessing. But, but ultimately, not, that, that blessing would extend not, not just to ethnic Israel, but to the ends of the earth. Amen? Like, that's us. Why is this important? It's, it's important because no doubt, there were those, think about it, hundreds of years no word from the Lord. There, there would have been those who were, would have been questioning the character of God. Y'all with me? There, there would have been those who might have been examining Israel's like present day circumstances. And they're saying, you know what, man? God's just mad at us. That's all he is. He's just angry. Clearly, like clearly God doesn't care. Like it's obvious. It's obvious that he's abandoned us. That's what happens when we look at God in a vacuum. 
So what happens when we fail to view his, his activity through the big picture, it's only when we step back and, and view the entirety of redemptive history that we see a God who graciously, continually moves towards people. Amen? We see a covenant making. This is what Zechariah is pointing to. We see a covenant making and a, a covenant keeping God who... who uh, Continue to pursue people from Adam to Abram to Moses to David and beyond. And John the Baptist would ultimately point to the embodiment of mercy in the person of Jesus. He would point to his cousin who would become the embodiment of mercy in the person of Jesus. Jesus would be Emmanuel, God with us. And this is... This is the character, this is the character of God, church. And we've got we've to connect the dots from verse 77 to, to, to verse 78 because the, the, this salvation that he brings, that's this rooted in his mercy. It's rooted in who he is. He's a merciful God. Be, because uh, Satan, Satan loves to preach half the gospel to us, right? Like he, he loves to he loves to preach uh, Romans 6:23a that the wages of sin is death, right? Satan like loves to get you to camp out on that that, that the wages of sin is death. So so you just kind of you just kind of camp out in in Shameville and in, in, in Guilt City, right? And, and, but what he what he does he he wants you to sit under that weight of let's be honest a very real problem your sin, but he just wants you to sit in that. But what he doesn't want you to know is the truth and the reality of the second half of the verse. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, church? It's a gift. It's a gift that's rooted in his mercy. Christmas time, it means, means giving gifts uh, which which can be great, but like let's be honest, it's it's also it's it's super stressful. Amen. <laughs> like, can I get an amen on that? Like, how many of you are a little stressed with the Christmas present situation, right? And now it's like the list, and like here's the link to my Amazon deal, and it's like so transactional. Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> poor poor Ben and all Benjamin and all of his six year old genuine authenticity. He told my folks over Thanksgiving that he was so, so grateful for them because they always get him the expensive Christmas gifts. <laughs> when we got back to Brian, there was, there was some parental coaching that went down <laughs> on what not to say to the grandparents. <laughs> but we, we tell our kids every year, we, we, we tell them, uh, of course, of course Christmas gifts are great, but, but we give and we receive Gifts at Christmas be, because God has given us the greatest gift of all in Jesus. Amen? Amen? And fewer and fewer people are able to, to hear this. But listen, um, God, God didn't owe you His mercy. 
Like, I, I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. Like, God, God didn't owe you his mercy. Like, you're, you are not entitled to the compassion of God. You get mercy and compassion because of his character, not, not because you were so awesome and deserving of it. Amen? We've lost sight of that. That's what makes God's mercy so incredible. And so here's the, here's the application, and here's the, here's the challenge before us, church. People today, let's bring it back to hope. People today, have, they've lost hope because they have lost sight of the character of God. People have lost hope because they have lost sight of the character of God. We're, we're all so steeped in our circumstances you're saying, my, 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 my marriage is in serious trouble, or, or, or this, this debt is piling up, or, or man, my, my health is failing, or yet, yet another COVID variant that is rising up again, another, another shooting, another school shooting in Michigan, another political or social disaster, and people, listen, they're, they're, like, they're immersed in it. They're immersed in it and they're, they're allowing the very, let me say this, hear me, very real but very temporal problems of the world to warp their perspective. And people, and people are so hopeless right now. They're so, everybody's so angry and angsty about everything right now. And like, this one's free and I feel like I've probably said it before as we've walked through Acts. But listen, get, like, get off social media. <laughs> Amen? Like if you're if you're just angry, like just get off, right? Quit quit believing everything that CNN and Fox News and Politico and NPR and all the things are telling you. Step back and be reminded that a merciful God is still on the throne. A merciful God is still on the throne. Listen, if the world if the world can't look to the church for mercy, if if the world can't look to the church for mercy because we're as angry and angsty as everybody else, why in the world would they hope in Jesus? See, in an increasingly merciless and unforgiving culture, a people of hope point to mercy. Amen? Third thing this morning. People of hope project the light. A people of hope project the light. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, project the light. Project the light. And, and I'm pretty sure uh, due to our leasing policy with the Ice House, we cannot have fires in here. Otherwise, I could illustrate this really well with the candle. But people of, people of hope project the light. See, the end of verse 78 references the, the, the sun that will, that will visit us from on high the sunrise. Uh, Thomas Constable, he says this, the, the, the Greek word for, for sunrise is, is Anatole, and it, it can describe, it's pretty cool, it can describe the rising of a heavenly body or the growing of a plant shoot. And many, uh, Constable says, many believe that this is perhaps a double reference to Messianic prophecies about the star rising uh, out of Jacob in Numbers 24 and the shoot growing out of Jesse from Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. As we move into verse 79, the, the text reveals that this visitation will give light 
to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. See, 700 years earlier, Isaiah the prophet had said in Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. See, church family, the, the light of the world has come. Amen? Like, Do we believe that? The light of the world has come. But here's, here's what that means for us, church. Here's what that means for you. See, Jesus, Jesus in Matthew 5.14, while preaching the Sermon on the Mount, told his followers, he said, you, you are the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. And, and, and I used to, uh, it's a good reminder, though, as I used to tell uh, our, my, my youth ministry students, remember, you, you shine like the, you don't shine like the sun, the S-U, and you shine like the moon. We are called to project the light of the S-O-N. Amen? We are called to project the light of Christ. We are, we are, the gospel was always meant to illuminate the darkness and Zechariah closes with this bold claim that it's only the light of Jesus that guides us in to real peace. See, in, in Jeremiah's day, that there were plenty of people who were declaring peace, peace, when there was no peace, right? And, and it's the same today. Like you, 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 can, you can declare peace over your sin. Like you, you can declare peace over this world. Like, you, you can do it till you're blue in the face, but here, here's the thing. You don't have that kind of power. Only Jesus does. And so when verse 79 references the way of peace, it is pointing to this reality. Before Jesus, there, there was no permanent peace. Only there was enmity between God and man and, and a tremendous amount of mercy and, and patience but all, all was not as it should be. And, and the prophet Isaiah had said in Isaiah 59 too, your, your iniquities have, have made this separation between you and your God. But praise God, the light of Christ brought, brought peace. Amen? It brought peace. And this peace, William Barclay says, it doesn't merely mean freedom from trouble. It means all that makes for a man's highest good. See, Jesus, Jesus' peace is, is not just about escaping all, all the, the, the trepidation and, and, and troubles. Jesus' peace is about reconciliation and restoration. Amen? His peace is about a, a restored identity and, and right relationship with the Father, with God. So I'll close, I'll close with this this morning, and we're done. We're called to be a people, people of hope. Here's what I want us to do as I close. Um, number one, everybody just take a breath. <laughs> take a breath. And, 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 and let's do this. Just repeat after me. Um, my hope is in Jesus alone. Let's just take a breath. Ready? Say it again. Say it with me. My hope is in Jesus alone. Like, like right now. Right now. So much despair 
so much anxiety in the world right now. We need to be reminded of our hope. This week, my, my mom reached out and, and asked me if we could start a new tradition with their side of the fam to have all the kids uh, sing joy to the world. And we'll sing, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about joy here in a couple of weeks. Um, but, but she wants us to sing joy to the world before we dig into our Christmas presents with the kids. And, and uh, I, of course, I said, hey, that, that sounds great. Our, our kids uh, over the uh, over the dinner table around devotional time have, have learned uh, the first verse of Joy to the World. We, we've sung it when we've done our neighborhood Christmas caroling. Um, but, but the first verse just says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room and heaven and nature's, nature sing. Church, Joy, joy flows from hope. And so here, here's, here's two questions, right? Have you received the king? Have you received the king and have you prepared room in your heart for King Jesus? Have you made room in your heart for King Jesus? Or are you pent up with the same anxiety and fear and despair characteristic of a world in darkness? Or do you understand that the light of Jesus has and will overcome the darkness? Amen? Joy to the world. Let's be a people of hope. Let's be a people who who hold to and hold up the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Y'all pray with me this morning.